Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Science Yale Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Indra Denbacher, CEO and co-founder of Overstory, to talk about improving infrastructure management by monitoring vegetation. Indra, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Indra, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create Overstory? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Indra Denbacher, CEO and co-founder of Overstory. I have a background myself in computational intelligence, worked as a data scientist for several years. Uh, some large companies, but also a startup as first employee, mainly in advertising technology. So lots of data, learned a lot. I think around probably five, six years ago, I decided I wanted to do more of my skills than selling more ads to people. So quit my job and climate was just very top of mind. My mother is from Indonesia. I travel a lot, saw a lot of beautiful places, but also things that weren't going well with our forests and trees. So I really wanted to, I guess, devote my professional time also on helping fighting the climate and biodiversity crisis and initially via machine learning competition on Kaggle to detect deforestation with satellite images and machine learning where we did pretty well. That's when me and my co-founder started to discuss what else can we do with satellite images and machine learning to look at our planet specifically focused on forest and vegetation. And so what does Overstory do? Yeah, so at Overstory, we apply machine learning to satellite imagery to monitor and analyze vegetation near power lines. And this is crucial for utility companies for several reasons. Traditionally, utility companies resorted to fixed trimming cycles. So they would visit the same area once every four to six years. We do the inspections via helicopters, drones, or in most cases, actually by foot. However, these trees, as we all know, are dynamic, right? They can have different growth rates, type of failure, such as pests and diseases. And um, our technology really offers utilities a holistic view of current risk uh, across a large area of land and often their full territory. And this data allows them to optimize their vegetation management practices, their operations. And this is an important part of the equation because vegetation management is often the largest line item on the operational span. So huge cost component, very manual and labor intensive and dangerous work. So with our solution, they can actually optimize where to go. So they relocate, for example, crews from low risk areas to high risk areas based on the current conditions and risk. And therefore they're enhancing the efficiency and safety of the operations. And what role does machine learning play in your technology? With a machine learning background myself, I would say like the Machine learning is really the backbone of our technology. It helps us to analyze fast amounts of data, satellite imagery in our case, to detect patterns and anomalies sometimes that the human eye would probably miss if you just look at the satellite image, right? So for instance, one of the, I would say, more interest, most interesting applications is identifying tree species from satellite images. So we use satellite imagery to distinguish different species of vegetation, for example, telling a pine tree apart from a spruce tree. And the model considers then various factors like spectral reflectance. What does the color look like? What's the shape? And not only the color in RGB, but multispectral, in all multispectral bands, looking at the shape, the size of the tree. I think that to really solve this, you need to take a, a deep learning approach, right? You cannot just 
hand label the satellite images because you cannot see what the actual species are from the images itself by eye. So you need good ground truth data, you need accurate labels, sometimes you need a little bit loosely labels, and then combine it. So I think it's a perfect fit for, for the classic deep learning approach to get really high quality output. And it's not only about doing it once, right? I think the advantage of really being an applied AI or maybe a specialized AI company is that you really try to solve a problem for our customers. So it's not only about accuracy, it's also about actionability. So we also use Arbors sometimes in the loop to make sure that the actions derived from those insights can actually be used by our customers in the field. So your models are used to identify the tree species, but perhaps detect individual trees as well. Are there other exactly. types of models that you use? Declining trees model is what we have as well. So understanding if a tree has health problems could be pests or diseases. So bark beetle is a big problem, but there's also oak decline and other types of tree failures. And that's important for a utility customer because if a tree is sick or declining in health, it has a risk or falling on the line, right? So that's actually a large part of the challenge utilities have. It's not the, the tree that's standing next to the line. It's the tree that's a little bit further away, gets sick, unhealthy, and then with the next storm, falls on the line, causes an outage, or in, in worse condition, it calls, causes an ignition for wildfire. So that declining tree part is also really important. Individual trees and growth. So we also take images from different angles, stereo modeling, to estimate the height of individual trees. What type of satellite imagery do you use for this? We mainly rely on very high resolution satellite imagery, so commercial data, 30 to 50 centimeter, multispectral, at least four bands, could be five or eight bands as well to really get to the species and tree decline well. So mainly commercial satellite imagery. And in working with that satellite imagery, what kind of challenges do you encounter and in particular challenges related to training your models? I mean, satellite imagery are, are really complex, right? I think... Uh, when first starting working with, with satellite imagery, I was probably a little bit naive that we generalize well to different territories, different conditions. But And sometimes it's good to be a bit naive, otherwise you wouldn't get started. But yeah, I mean, a lot of challenges with the satellite imagery. It's varying resolution sometimes, lightning conditions, terrain, cloud cover. And then the trees look different in different geographies, right? Like so a pine tree in California looks different from a pine tree in, in Spain, for example. So there's a lot of differences to account for that means that there's not really like a one-size-fits-all model i think what what we're developing is more of a, a very strong baseline model that will do well in different circumstances but then fine-tune our models for example with with a human in the loop or how i like to call it arborist in the loop to really fine-tune to specific regions and make sure the accuracy is good for our customers and when i say accuracy it's not just about precision and recall of certain species, it's really about how does it translate to a certain action for our customer, right? Like if a customer would treat a pine tree and a spruce tree the same, then like mixing those species is less of a problem. So we really try to take into account the end goal when developing these machine learning models. And the satellite imagery are definitely a variation, can be taken from different angles as well. That makes it complex, but we like a nice challenge. So that's something we signed up for, of course. So to handle different geographic regions, you're fine-tuning your models. But what about other variations like different weather conditions or, or lighting? Do you need to train new models in some of those scenarios? Or are you able to train a single model for a particular geographic region that handles that diversity? Mix of both. I think a good example, a recent example is the unfortunate wildfires that happened in Canada over the summer. 
that led to a lot of haze across a large part of North America. Right? I think a lot of people seen the images from the wildfire smoke in New York City, but it was spread across a lot of different states in North America. And that had impact on our image quality as well. Right? You can see the haze across large territories and there are some dehazing algorithms that were working well out of the box, but we had to fine tune the algorithms to make it work for those types of circumstances in that location. So we do then sometimes fine tune the model to make sure we can, for example, segment the trees well in new territory. So that's why we always have, this is what we saw coming, right? Like we knew there was smoke, so we anticipated it a little bit. But sometimes it's a surprise that the model isn't performing well in a new region and we have automatic and QA happening across the pipelines to make sure we capture it early and then if needed, fine tune the models. But of course, the general model or the general idea is that this scales to a lot of or large territories. And I'm now talking mostly about the outliers, but those are important as well, of course. It's important to tackle those well. Yeah. So, so once you catch the outliers through your monitoring schemes, you can identify whether that type of outlier is something that's important to tackle or whether it really is a fairly isolated incident and maybe not important for the overall grand scheme of things. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. How does your team plan and develop a new machine learning product or feature? What What are some of the first steps you take in that process? I mean, we, we work at a high pace. It's at a startup, so it's highly iterative, I would say. So we start, of course, with a problem statement, conduct some research, like what's already being done, what's working, what's not working. I think that last part is also really important. And then just, just really try to build a, an MVP as early as possible so that you get a good feeling how things will turn out if you put more effort into it, right? And I think then translating that to uh, user feedback is important. As I mentioned, we can create a beautiful, very accurate map of all the species in the world, but if that's not actionable to our customers, then there's no use to it. So really try to translate those machine learning outputs into actions is really, really important to us. So often it doesn't start with as a machine learning product. It starts with a problem statement from our from our customers that we're trying to tackle. Sometimes machine learning is the answer, sometimes not. But if it is, I think we'll always want to address it with a very highly iterative process. The research you mentioned in that process, how extensive is that for you? I know you're a fast-paced startup, but you know, I'm just curious how much your team might dive into the literature and look at open source code bases to understand what's been done before. And that's a continuous process because the field is, is moving so fast, right? So it's important to keep an eye on it, of course, not get only distracted by new resources because it's there's such a fast moving field but we read a lot and we track a lot of the new resources and sometimes it's applicable we try it if it works we'll, we'll dive deeper if it doesn't work we'll pause it or park it for a while doesn't mean we'll, we won't use it in the future in the future but i think that especially in the stage we are in r&d is really happening on the spot while we are delivering for customers and i think that is a challenging dynamic, right? Because you want to push forward, push the boundaries of what your machine learning models can do, but then you also have customers waiting for results to act upon. So I think now that we're growing the company, it will be R&D and deliveries will be split a little bit more clearly. But yeah, I think R&D is part of our DNA and what we deliver to our customers. And, and that will always be a large part of, at least from the, from the engineering part, a large part of the work. It can be a challenging dynamic for machine learning engineers as well to balance getting something developed to meet a deadline versus taking the time to understand what research has been done and are they actually on the right path. Do you have any guidance in how you guide your team to handle those balances? 
I mean, I think first step one is acknowledging that it's difficult, right? And that there's no one solution fits all because sometimes there's quick wins, sometimes it's more long-term wins and really depends on the delta you expect. But I think fast iteration is important to see if it's useful or not. And then I think prioritization probably in every company is important. But so is if you have a heavily R&D-focused product, I think prioritizing quick and long-term wins over that delivery deadline, that's... I mean, the honest answer, it is a challenge, but I think just always keeping an eye on what we're trying to achieve, that's a good forcing function, I feel. So hiring for machine learning can be a challenge due to the high demand for professionals in this field. You know, companies in all different spaces are, are seeing this right now, with especially with AI being hyped the way it is. What approaches to recruiting and onboarding have been most successful for your team? I think hiring is always, always indeed a challenge, especially for highly specialized engineers with particular experience. And I think what helps us is our mission, right? Mission, right? Like being a climate tech company really helps to attract talent from different types of industry to move into climate tech. And of course, I live in, in a small bubble where everyone wants to join climate tech, but I do see an increase of people that move from ed tech like myself or other industries that want to move in climate because this is just probably the most important problem to tackle as a society right now, right? So I think that's attracting a lot of people, just the mission. I think what I've heard a lot as well is just the focus that we have as a company. We're not saying we'll solve everything from day one. We have a particular niche that we operate in, the electric utility industry, and we're building highly specialized machine learning models, but also workflows to address a particular challenge they have. And I think that's attracting talent as well to be able to really solve the problem of the climate puzzle, right? And I think that focus, I think that's something that attracts people as well. And then, of course, company culture. In the end, it's about people. So I think our interview process and onboarding process is a lot about the people themselves, the people behind the company. So you want to enjoy working for the company, right, and the people around you. So that's an important aspect of hiring a lot. So we do a lot of outreach as well to people that we think are good because sometimes the most talented people are not actively looking for a job but they or they don't know yet. I think that's why reaching out to people proactively has also been uh, a positive strategy. When you do bring on a new machine learning engineer or, or researcher, I imagine sometimes they haven't been involved in, in forestry applications before, or perhaps haven't even touched satellite imagery. How do you get them up to speed? What, what kind of training do you have for them? Yeah, so remote first company. So a lot of people onboard remote as well. So we have, a, I would say, a very good onboarding process. So there's a lot of documentation happening. There's a lot of presentations or documents people will go through, videos as well to get up to speed. It's a lot for people when they just join, but it's a lot of good information to get up to speed. But in parallel, we let people start working on particular challenges very early as well. So that's not only learning new information or adapting to a new circumstance, but just getting their hands on a particular project. I think that combination of a lot of good documentations good, clear onboarding with some hands-on work. I think that worked well for us so far. Thinking a bit broader about what you're doing at Overstory, how do you measure the impact of your technology to be sure that you're on track to accomplish what you set out to? That's, of course, a very important question that we also ask ourselves every time. And I think the main impact of our technology is measured through, I would say, leading indicators, because it's hard to, to prove that you prevented the wildfire or prevented an outage, right? So we're looking for leading indicators, like how many high-risk power lines did we identify that the customer would otherwise have missed or 
how many hazard trees. So those are trees that are in decline and have strike potential that reflect that could potentially cause an ignition and a large wildfire. So those are the leading indicators that we track. We also measure increased operational efficiency for our customers. Those are the indicators we're looking for. Ross are particular utility customers. And then we also look at larger metrics, like how many acres of land if we monitor so far and how many worth of utility assets have we monitored and protected over on a regular basis. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? Most important advice that I keep reminding myself as well is like stay focused on solving real-world problems. If you really want to achieve, and I think that climate mission makes it easy because you know what the end goal is, but if you want to achieve something at scale, I think focus is really important. It's really better to solve one problem really well than trying to solve multiple problems at the same time, right? And I think with satellite images and machine learning, there's endless opportunities. And that's, I think, also the risk of, of AI as well. Like you can tackle a lot of problems or you can tackle one problem really well and, and solve that problem as well. And I think that's what we're focused on is that more that vertical or specialized AI that can do one thing very well, but, but really solves a problem then as well. And finally, where do you see the impact of Overstory in three to five years? It's hard to predict the future, even with the data we have now, but I would say three to five years, I see Overstory becoming an essential tool for utility companies globally with a real, and this is important again because of our mission, with a real measurable impact. So a significant number of wildfires, number of wildfires reduced and power outage prevented become the standard in industry for vegetation management. I think that's what we'll see in the next three to five years. And beyond, I would say, power infrastructure, the data we have currently is super useful for other decision makers as well. So I think we'll see early adoption of other industries using our data to improve their decision making. This has been great. Indra, your team at Overstory is doing some really interesting work. I expect that the insights you shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? They can always go to our website, overstory.com, or if there's additional questions, feel free to email me directly at indra at overstory.com. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.